Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Before I introduce my guest this morning, I just wanted to give you a little information. I got an email from FEMA. And they wanted to re- ask me to remind everybody that uh, you only have two weeks left before the deadline on October 16th. They say it's important to apply before the deadline because when you are already in the system, you can continue to get assistance after the deadline. Once the deadline passes and you haven't applied, you will have to get help from others, re- other resources, including community organizations and nonprofits. So please do yourself a big favor and get to FEMA. Um, anyway, my guests this morning are Carolyn Picasio, who's the library director, and Colleen Beamish, who's the development coordinator for the Kellogg Hubbard Library. Uh, welcome to the show. You guys hear me? Oh, I do yeah, oh, now. You cut out for a minute. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, so uh, I'm going to probably ask questions of of uh, by name, but if the the other individual has something to say, please don't hesitate to jump in. We're going to talk this morning about the impact of the flood on the library, um, what they did in response, which I thought was yeoman's work, um, and the grand reopening. And then we wanted to talk about the library's strategic plan and impact report, two very impressive documents. Um, Carolyn, can you um, talk a little bit about the damage the library sustained during the flood? Yeah, sure. Um, so on the day of the flood, when we were hearing the warnings rolling in, we, um, I always, I preface this when I'm talking about this now, um, we closed the library at two o'clock, uh, and we followed our flood procedure. So we did have a flood, uh, flood procedure and a flood recovery procedure on our books already. Uh, and so, and that meant that we moved Colleen actually and Dan and, uh, some other staff members moved everything in our basement to three feet off of the floor. Uh, every breaker in the breaker boxes, um, before locking up and, and going home to wait out this weather disaster. Um, so the floodwaters rose to seven and a half feet in our basement. Uh, so if you're looking at the library, that's about halfway up our basement windows, uh, and the basement was completely filled with water. We had about 18 inches of water inside our accessible entrance, which is at ground level off of School Street. Um, so that was so that was what came into our building, and then uh, we worked with uh, we had 163 volunteers the following Saturday after we got the water pumped out to take all of our destroyed sodden contents out, um, all of our sheetrock, and um, so now if you look if you go into our basement, you're looking at ex- a gutted space that's exposed brick. The good news is it doesn't look like a disaster zone. It looks like a renovation is happening. So that's very, uh, very hopeful. Um, in terms of damage, so we were very lucky that the water did not reach the first floor of the library, which is elevated about four feet off of ground level. But in our basement, we lost um, – that's where all of our critical systems right. were housed. So we lost our elevator that we had just restored, um, our heating system that we had just upgraded, <laughs> um, Three out of our four electrical panels, including the feed and the shutoffs where the, the le- electrical uh, comes into the building, 
uh, our, our hot water, our fire alarm panel. Uh, we had an oil tank that broke loose and hit our sprinkler system and like knocked, um, it knocked the piping for that. And so even after the water began to recede, we had a burst pipe and there was water shooting into our basement uh, after the fact. And we had to it was actually kind of funny because we had the city come and shut the water off to the building. And so this guy, the, the, the guy from Public Works is standing in like knee deep flood water <laughs> to find the shut off to shut the water off. Oh, to the wow. basement. And I'm like, oh, if only you could shut the water off. Um, uh, we lost our fire alarm panel, our network infrastructure, our phone system, our security system, um, the entire contents of our book sale, which was between ten and 15,000 books. We oh. estimated about 15,000, including in storage. Um, our meeting room contents, all of that furniture, and uh, our electronic storage was down there and, and uh, some other pieces. So our ceilings are oh. still intact down there, but uh, everything else is gutted. Oh, I'm so sorry. How awful. Uh, and you know what? I was helping a friend uh, shovel out mud in Barry, and wet books yeah. are the heaviest yeah. things. You can't imagine how heavy they are when you're lifting them oh up and God. how much water. I was surprised. Yeah, well, on the so the Saturday following the fifteenth of July, that's when all those all the volunteers came in, and we had a bucket brigade. We put every pressed every available bucket or bin that was in the building into use, and had a bucket brigade to get all of these sodden books out of the basement. Um, and I was positioned on the front stairs, and so we were lifting not only oh. over but up above us, and you know, and we would have this chain down to the basement where we would shout in tandem like lighter, lighter. <laughs> You were books. You were books because it was. It was unbelievable. I was just so surprised. Oh, I can handle this because she had a lot of uh, paperback books. Oh, don't sweat it. I can handle this. And after a couple of bending over, picking them up, I went, oh, this isn't going to work. Yeah, and it gets like it's like pulp, and everything down yeah. there was covered in silt, and it was greasy, and it was, oh. um, and in the we had only temporary lighting because it's the basement. There were right. there were very few windows, and it was yeah, it was um, that was that was quite a day when I we did, uh, when we took the debris out. But how great you had so many volunteers and staff to pitch in and help you. That was one. Did you get a lot of mud oh. in the library because Barry was? I never saw anything like that. Yeah, so we didn't get, um, I, like some of the places I've seen, like you said, like Barry, where they right. got like inches and inches and inches of mud. We had silt covering everything, so oh. everything was very, very dirty, but it was not, we were not digging out like inches of mud. Yeah, cause that was, that was, I don't understand quite where it all came from, but it obviously did. I know. So are you able to move any of your uh, critical, uh, equipment upstairs that, that everybody's recommending that anybody who can to move the, all, all the stuff you just mentioned upstairs, if there's room, are you going to be able to do that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are, so we're on the district heat system for the city of Montpelier, uh, state system. So that piping is buried and where it comes into the building is something we can't dictate. So uh, there are a couple of, there's, there's a part of our heating system that has to stay in the basement because it's not movable, but anything we can possibly move up above the flood good. line, we're moving above the flood line. Uh, that's good. So we are, uh, and because of our historic building, that means that uh, a lot of our closets are now going to be like electrical panel closets and fire alarm panel closets <laughs> and things like that. But we're able to, um, I'm really, I'm really grateful for the fact that our, uh, the, my co-administrator, my, my boss, Dan, uh, and the board were absolutely 100% on board with moving all of these systems. Yeah, so we're not replacing 
we're not replacing anything in the basement unless we we just can't move it. Because as sad as it is to think about, it could happen again. So uh, I'm glad people are really taking yeah. steps. I'm anxious to hear the um, the community uh, meeting about the results of all of the um, um, uh, group sessions they had about what to do next, how to you know how to move forward yeah. in Montpelier. That's going to be very interesting. Um, oh, absolutely. I was actually surprised that you got so much water. I thought, I guess, I guess the river is sort of fairly close, is it not? It is about, yeah, it's less than a block away. So if yeah. I'm looking out my, my office window towards um, Main Street, then uh, you've got the Unitarian Church across from right. us, and then the right. river and runs behind uh, that. Yeah. So we are pretty close yeah. to the North Branch and and pretty close to the downtown where the North Branch, um, where the confluences mm-hmm. of the two rivers. Wow. So, um and the library has flooded, of course, in 1927, uh, and then it flooded again in 1992, but right. it didn't flood, to my knowledge, or at least not very badly, uh, in, during Hurricane Irene in 2011. Oh, so okay. this is Good. kind of our, this is our third really major flood for the library. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was, I was in the state government in 1992. That was quite a, an experience. But anyway, yeah. I have to say, and, um, Colleen, I presume you were right there amongst the, amongst the group, uh, bailing out. Yes, definitely. A lot of books coming out of that basement. <laughs> um, unbelievable. That's great. And um, I have to compliment you all. Uh, Dan Gro- Grobert, who's the executive director for the library, he uh, has been posting uh, on the website updates on what was happening. And by July 20th, you guys, it was incredible what services you um, you um, got up and running. And I, I was hoping one, one of you or, or both of you could kind of talk about Everything you did to to serve uh, your customers, it was really great. Yeah, um, so I hate using the term uh, silver linings of the (laughs) pandemic. Um, I feel like I've had to use that a lot, but it's true in this case. So we were able to, uh, we were able to go to curbside service, which was the kind of the level of service contactless pickup that we had done during the pandemic. We were able to do that right away because our community understood how that worked and my librarians understood how that worked. So when I said, okay, guys, like this is, this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. Everybody could immediately jump into that. Um, but to make that possible, our facilities coordinator, uh, Jason Cass, he had to, we had to have some level of power. Uh, and so he worked with this local electrical company, um, Bolt Electric, uh, and they got us a temporary power on a skid under a huh. tent outside <laughs> one of our windows oh, wow. by that Friday. Uh, so we had temporary power by the end of the week that the flood happened, and then we were able to start these provisional services and get them going for the following week, which was just um, just unbelievable. We were also lucky because our building is made of this 22-inch thick Dummerston granite. So when the building inspector came through post-flood, we were structurally sound. So wow. because we were structurally sound, we got that power going as quickly as possible, that provisionary power. Um, we were, yeah, we were able to get up and running and That's really great. do, uh, very, very quickly switch gears. And we were offering every, every service that we normally do, except for people being able to come into the space. Right. Wow. Well, kudos to all of you. Not that the, we want to repeat the, but COVID, but there was a lot of lessons learned from that event. So, yeah. uh, one of them really helped you guys out. And I know I read that the, your summer reading program, your, the outreach that you do and home delivery all happened. So 
I, yeah. I just, I'm very impressed with everybody, so I think they should all uh, be treated to something, an ice cream cake or something. I don't know. That was a really, that was a great effort for sure. Um, so, um, you guys are planning, is that, I don't know if it's called a reopening, but this Saturday, October 7th, um, Colleen, can you talk about, um, what's happening this Saturday with everybody opening up on the one side of the street in, in the Montpelier anyway? Yes. So, um, it's definitely a reopening of sorts. Uh, so we are hosting a Fall for the Library event um, on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and it is our opportunity to welcome back patrons to the library. So um, we'll have a bunch of activities like uh, children's crafts, a bounce house, um, a no-string marionettes performance, puzzle swap, um, and the grand finale of our fundraising auction um, just to get people excited again for the library. And I think all of Montpelier is really following that trend of um, kind of coming back to life this weekend in a way. That's great. Yeah, there, I, I'm sure downtown there's going to be a lot of stuff, too, because that whole string of stores, on the, I don't know, which, depending on which way you're looking, but on the side where the municipal offices are, I think they're most of them, if not all, are all opening on Saturday. Is that not correct? I believe so. Yeah. I think they um, just reopened that block, and I was actually there shopping this past weekend. It oh. was so great to be able to, you know, see the familiar faces yep. and explore what has changed. Nothing's exactly what it was, but um, uh, to be back in those favorite places, yeah. That's really that's really great. I'm I'm going to go downtown for sure. Um, that's great, and. Um, I think there'll be a lot of fun, and I think you're right. Everybody's going to enjoy seeing everybody else and store owners we know and, and uh, welcoming them back. It's been a long, let's see, it was July, July, I mean, quite a few months that they've been um, out of work. And kudos um, to your uh, executive director um, because he was been putting out updates. And one of the articles that Dan wrote, he said, and I quote, the library is at the heart of the community, a place that brings people together. Colleen, could you kind of expand on that as the library's development coordinator? Yes. So um, I think people often forget that a public library is so much more than books. Um, people rely on the library for free Wi-Fi, public computers. Um, maybe they don't have Internet at home or maybe they're even unhoused at the moment. Um so people find a safe space at the library where they find, you know, resources as well as connection with others and their fellow community members. Um, we hold weekly programs for adults and children that are not only a source for education, but also a source for discussion and connection and conversation. Um, even browsing the shelves, you're sharing a space with your neighbors, and I think there's something really rewarding about that. So, um, And, of course, people come in and they rave about our librarians and how they can – recommend a book based on something you previously read and they know you by name and they're a familiar face. So I wholeheartedly agree with Dan that, um, you know, the library brings people together more than anywhere else. Well, I can actually um, provide a little story when you talked about your great uh, folks that work there. My grandchildren and I, when they were, this was quite a while ago, were very young. We were going to take a trip up to Canada. The ultimate destination was Fredericton, uh, New Brunswick, to visit a friend of mine. And I went to the library, and I asked them to give me some books on tape for these two. And she spent so much time with us talking to the boys, finding out what they liked. And she gave us, I don't know, four or five tapes. 
And it worked like magic. They, they couldn't get enough of the books. They were just perfect for these kids. And they kept quiet, which was a very good thing in the car for that long of a trip. Um, and they, they wanted more. I mean, I, I, I tell that story all the time about the patience and the time that your staff person, I wish to heaven I remembered her name. But anyway, it was a great experience. And, um, and you know, sometimes music just doesn't do it on the radio. You need something to really focus on. So I really appreciated that, uh, that service for sure. Um, so, yeah, so thank you all. Um, you had a campaign recently, give the library a lift. And I think, um, uh, Carolyn, you sort of, uh, referred to it because some of the things that, uh, were lifted up were then broken by the flood. Um, how how did that fundraising go? And I know there was a laundry list of stuff that you had fixed. Is there um, some additional funds there to sort of tweak things back the way they the way that they should be and newly um, newly addressed um, issues? Yeah. So um, yeah. So give the library lift went from uh, it launched in 2016 in a quiet phase, and then we had just finished the fundraising portion of it and met our fundraising goal uh, right before the pandemic. So it was like end of December 2019, uh, and then uh, but. And anybody who's been through this process before knows that a capital campaign does not end when you have stopped fundraising for it. That's when all of your projects begin. And then uh, particularly if you have grant funding, you have to report out on, on progress for those projects. So we have spent the last um, three years uh, doing all of these was like 26 individual uh, building improvement projects. And uh, we had just finished that up this summer and had closed out the books for that, which, um, you know, which was in, in, incredible to get through because it was an additional additional work on our existing staff. Um, but I was looking through the the list uh, as you were talking of give the library a lift, and so there are some there are some major things that have been. Um, that did get damaged in the flood that now have to be redone. So our HVAC controls and our elevator um, and the, some of the renovations that we had done in our basement. Uh, so those do have to get redone. But then we, I have uh, two, two thirds, three quarters of those projects were all above grade. Uh, and so those are all, are all done and in good shape. So we did like woodwork restoration and repointing on our masonry and um, changed out flooring in the library and, and repaired our freezes, our historic freezes in the fiction room. And so there's, there's, there are tons of projects that uh, we, that we finished and that were not damaged. So that was actually, as I was looking through that, I was like, oh, this is actually very encouraging <laughs> for you. so many of these things we don't have to immediately redo. Cause I was thinking about the elevator, which is a, $200,000 project and was, and we fundraised and we did it and it was upgraded and now it's destroyed again. And oh, that, wow. So it's nice to see that so many things were in good shape. And yeah, and as part of that, that fundraising campaign, we did, um, part of that was uh, a building reserve, a building occupancy yep. reserve fund. So we, to give us the seed money for some of these more major projects that Give the Library Lift was meant to catch up on. But then we had, uh, uh, we established a fund so that when we had kind of major systems issues, if we had to replace the roof, for example, we had the money to do that. Right. And then we could replace it incrementally instead of that, like hitting our budget in, in a single budget year. Yeah, actually, so that Dan put Dan, us in a good place. I'm sorry. Start this. Yeah, Dan wrote about that 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 you were in good financial um, situation um, 
during and after the flood. So a lot of people are not or were not, and yeah. uh, which was very sad. Some of them have had to make a, a decision to close because they just don't have the capital. And I must say, sure. I give you credit for the building repair is so necessary, and a lot of people leave that go because it's not something people see but it's so important to keep that building, especially a historical building, keep the building in good shape um, for future use. So um, that's a good thing you did all that. I'm sorry about the elevator. That's probably more than a dollar ninety eight. But um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, we were we were in we were in. I've been at the library now for seven years, and this was the best financial shape I've seen it in. Our, our financial stability has has grown in the time that, that I've been here, not because of me, but because of the foundations that my, my predecessors have laid. Um, and so we were... Um, we were in a much better place to, to weather great. this and to begin this process and organizationally just much more sound with our, our processes and our procedures and our policies and our, and, and we have a wonderful board of trustees that's yep. very involved and very knowledgeable. And so we were, I, I'm incredibly grateful for all of that because this has made this, um, this disaster something that is fixable. I never, right. never once, even coming in the day after the flood, went, oh my God, we can't yeah. do this. I yeah. said, this is going to be a long haul and it's going to be a lot of work, um, but by God, we'll do it. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, and that's and, the uh, attitude that we've all had the whole time. That's, and it, it does make a difference if you've got some financial stability that, that uh, a lot of people didn't and, and they just, they're at a loss of what to do next. So, and, and kudos to you, by the way, for having a flood, um, a, uh, what's the word? Uh, front, procedure. A flood pen procedure. Thank you. Yeah. Um, to, yeah. to know what to do when, when something like that hits you. So that's great. I'm here with my guest, Carolyn Picasio and, uh, Colleen Beamish from the Kellogg Hubbard Library. And I was just about to talk about, um, uh, sort of why I invited them here because I was at a nonprofit meeting. I'm on the board of a nonprofit here in, um, Montpelier. And somebody on the board sent us a copy of the Kellogg Hubbard Library Strategic Plan because we were talking about ours. And they said this is the best strategic plan he'd ever seen. And what impressed me the most was um, that they managed to con- to put the strategic plan, um, the bulk of it is several pages long, but they put it on one sheet of paper, clear, concise, perfect. And I thought, wow. This is really cool. And then after, after I was commenting to friends and family about, uh, the strategic plan, I was told about something that the board put together. It's called the impact report. And, um, that's available online as well, which is then followed by the strategic plan. So I wanted to talk to both of you about this. Um, could you, I don't know, could you talk about, um, uh, walk us through the strategic planning process and who was involved in its creation and and what maybe the ultimate uh, goal or purpose of the strategic plan was. Sure. Uh, so um, I'll start with the the ultimate goal of the strategic plan. The goal of the the goal of any strategic plan is to give an organization vision and direction and to get everyone on the same page. So with a library, we have our community, we have our staff of librarians, we have our nonprofit staff, uh, we have our trustees, and 
it helps us all be uh, more productive and, and to move the library forward in a meaningful way if we spend some time thinking about what the library means, who it serves, uh, and where we should be going in the next five years. We're in a, in a period, and we have been in a period of really rapid change, rapid informational change over the last 25, 30 years at this point, uh, and that has hit libraries especially. They've evolved very, very quickly from these like shushing places full of that are where custodians of books to these uh, creative learning commons environments. And so uh, it's it's very useful as an organization to be able to sit down and say, okay, well, what does the library mean to you? And, uh, and where are we going to be? What is, what does this place look like five years from now? So, uh, so the, the trustees agreed that that was a great idea and spending this time to do that was important. And so we, they, they formed, uh, a strategic planning group with, um, I was on that, in that group and we had, um, staff and trustees and then we, hired a, a strategic planning ah. consultant, a local one. Um, her name is Steffi Lehar, and Steffi was amazing and kind of kept us all together and understood how the how the, the process of putting these plans together works and so was able to give us some really critical support. Um, strategic plans take six to nine months of almost entirely data gathering, and so we started ours in January, and it ended up being approved in its final version by our board in September. Uh, and we did a variety of different kinds of asks to gather information. There were people that we interviewed personally. There were, um, uh, we, we reached out to, with focus groups and with surveys and we try and reached out to our, our town stakeholders and tried to get as much perspective, tried to think about different age ranges, different backgrounds, who's using the library, who isn't using the library, why aren't they using the library, what would we need to do to meet the needs of the community. Um, and so, yeah, and so I'm incredibly proud of this, this document that we created and, uh, most strategic plans are good for three to five years, uh, typically, and we were concerned that we might not be able to go through this full months-long process every three to five years. So we very intentionally kept our goals broader. Right. But then, you know, as you were saying, we have a kind of a multi-page document where we have um, benchmarks where we break down these larger goals and say, okay, well, what does that mean in 2023 and 2024 and 2025? And then hopefully we'll be able to continue with these broader goals and just update the the benchmarks for different years and create our work plans within that so that we can uh, maybe maybe stretch it out a little bit longer. That's great. Yeah, no, you're right. I every time when I was in state government, they said we're going to do our strategic plan. Everybody go, oh, because yeah. um, it it what happens and, is well, words mean mean something, and you can argue about a word for like an hour, and you're oh like, my gosh, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> hey. I hate it. <laughs> but having this one-page version yeah. also means that it's not a plan that is going to get like published, approved by the trustees, and then sit on a shelf. Right. This is something that is um, something we can display, something we can access, something that we can refer to continually as we go through our work. So it makes it uh, it makes it more of a living document. And I think keeping it keeping it brief and um, presentable on this single page, it really orients us towards those goals yeah. continually, so that we can keep keep it active. Well, you've obviously also set up a model for other businesses because, um, as I said, I was in this meeting and somebody 
um, gave us a copy just to say, look, this is what we should be doing. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah really you're cool. welcome. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. That was cool. I, I looked at it and said, oh, I love this because – you had on the one side, you had all of the mission and the, the usual mission yeah. and goals and stuff. But then you specifically had written um, about the three goals that you had all decided upon. And I, I was hoping uh, one or both of you could kind of go through those goals and expand on them. Uh, what's in the, the bigger strategic plan and the details of them? So Colleen, do you uh, want to read the goals or shall I? Uh, no, go ahead, Colleen. You can read them. I just, I put them on my notes just for my reference, but go ahead. Sure. Um, so our first goal is that the library will provide easy access to high quality and robust collection of information and media resources and services to people of all backgrounds. Um, our second goal uh, is for the library uh, to serve as a community hub that engages people of all ages and backgrounds. And our third goal is um, to have the library is staffed and governed to meet its mission as an inclusive, sustainable, and resilient organization. So, can I just ask you um, one question? What, and I don't know if if you have this on top of your head, what are the media resources that you have? What comes under that category? Because people are getting pretty savvy these days, and uh, I don't know what you might have in the library that would be considered a a media resource other than computers and and Wi-Fi. Carolyn, do sure. you want to speak to that? Yeah, yes, yeah. So, uh, so that refers to mainly to our online, our digital resources. So we have a number of collections uh, that you can access 24/7 from any internet-connected device. So we have. Uh, Flipster, which is digital magazines, and that includes, really importantly, that includes uh, consumer reports. So any of our patrons could go onto this app and browse multiple back years and the annual buying guides for consumer reports, among other um, popular magazines. We have Canopy, which is a streaming video service, so you get a set number of plays. It works kind of like Netflix uh, with with some limitations, um, but there's a, a, a huge. I think the collection is like up to uh, over fifty thousand um, movies that you can that our patrons can access. We have an app called Palace, which is um, akin to another app called Libby. They access similar collections where you can get downloadable uh, e-books and audio books. So those those car trips you're taking with your kids, you're you can absolutely still come in into the into the building and get an audiobook on CD. But if your car, uh, like my husband's car, can't uh, play CDs anymore, nice. then you can download content and then play it. You know, play it on your on your road trip. Oh, that that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, we have Comics Plus. That's our newest one. Comics Plus has thousands and thousands of uh, of comic books, of graphic novels, for mostly for youth and teens. And so, again, like you get onto your device and you flip through just like you're flipping through the print copy. And these are items that are uh, frequently more available even than the single item that we might have in the library. And so it just it just expands our collection. It's it's doubled more than doubled at this point our collection wow. size and the access for our patrons. We just went through uh, on the strategic plan. It has three goals. We went through goal number one. And goal number two um, is says the library serves as a community hub that engages people of all ages and backgrounds. And just to back that up, one of the things that Dan wrote on the um, website was that the Kellogg Hubbard has always been far more than just the building. 
Carolyn, Colleen, you want to comment on um, that comment and also on goal number two? Sure. I'll go. Gosh. So, you know, when I think of when I think of the Kellogg Hubbard Library, when I think of a library, um, I think of it, it's a refuge. It's a refuge for so many people uh, at so many different critical times of their lives. Um, so it's this place where you're always welcome. It's full of kind and helpful people, but people who will also leave you alone to do your own thing if that's what you want to do. Um, and so we at the at the Kellogg Hubbard, we work really hard so that um, everyone can come in here and find something. They can geek out with whatever their thing is, or they can sit for a spell and uh, and just exist uh, without anybody making demands of them. Uh, and so, and I find as I've worked in libraries longer and longer that nearly everyone has a library story and they're almost universally like rosy and nostalgic and that's, and that's delightful. So they're these, um, they're just incredible, you know, incredible spaces where we have people, uh, we have programs and we have classes and we have arts and crafts and we have, you know, all of these, all of these happenings that occur in here. And you can talk in the library now, except for we have a silent workspace, but you can come in here and have a cup of coffee and a conversation. We have new parents that meet up with other new parents so that they can, can, can get out and have their kids play and have an adult conversation and senior citizens who would otherwise perhaps be isolated that come in here for programs. And um, it's just, it's, it's, you know, when when somebody – I have interviewed a bunch of people to work at the library, and it's always a red flag when someone says, oh, it must be so great to work at a library because you get to read all day. Well, we don't. <laughs> we are busy, busy, busy. Right. We are helping people and facilitating things and answering questions and helping somebody log onto their email or, like, print something or, you know, tell like – bring a parent to the children's section to let them know, you know, give them suggestions for what like their, their kiddo might like to read. And it's just, we are on our feet continually. And so it's busy and it's vibrant and it's community oriented. And it's just, um, it's just the most incredible place I can think of. That is, that's an awesome, awesome comment. I love it. Um, my particular favorite was when you go into a library and they have the reading hour for the kids and they're all sitting around and just glued at the reader and listening to the story. Um, and there's so, there's a lot of activities for kids at a library and I think that's a great way to introduce them to reading and libraries and how important they are to our community. So the third, um, action goal here is the library, and we've sort of talked about this a little bit, it's staffed and governed to meet its mission as an inclusive, sustainable, and resilient organization. What do you do in your capacities, uh, both as um, uh, development director, development coordinator, sorry, and library director to make sure that the library is open to all and that they feel welcome? Maybe, Carolyn, we could start with you. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, so for so staffing, um, you know, we have to make sure that we have yeah, adequate, adequate people here that can do the jobs that we need them to do. Um, and that and we try to have our staff be as reflective as, of our community as we can and our board as reflective of our community as we can. Uh, and we. Um, 
Yeah, and so we need, you know, you need a specific, you need a specific number of people, but you need people with a variety of backgrounds and a variety of different kinds of expertise. So we work, um, we we think really critically about our hiring processes and our orientation processes for trustees and for staff and even for substitutes and uh, for for youth for our library pages that come from the high schools. And so we have done a lot, a lot of policy making and a lot of procedure making, and we've worked with. Um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants, and so we uh, we've put a lot of a lot of thought into how, from the top down, in an organization, you can uh, build it up so that it is diverse and vibrant and, and reflective of the community. So that's as an administrator, that's the level um, that you know that you're really thinking about in terms of crafting your organization and leading your organization. That's great. Colleen, as a development coordinator, what, um, what do you do to, to reach out and, and, uh, to make f- people feel welcome and that it is their library? Sure. Um, so my role pretty much focuses in fundraising. So, ah. um, the financial resilience is really under my umbrella and finding, I think, uh, not everyone is aware that the Kellogg Cover Library is a 501c3 nonprofit. So, um, we rely a lot on our donors and uh, the wonderful community members who are willing to support the library through financial donations. Um, so my role is really uh, being in touch with them, and that's kind of what our impact report is all about. So um, just working with Dan, our executive director, to make sure we have that financial resilience going forward and can continue to serve our community. That's great. Uh, why don't you um, kind of slip into the impact statement discussion because um, – I think you've done this before from what I was looking on. Can you talk to people about what the impact report is all about and um, what it's intended to do? Yes. So our impact report, which was previously called our annual report, is a update to our donors um, to let them know how they have impacted the library over the past year. So um, we have a note from our executive director as well as an update on our Give the Library a List campaign, which was just finished. And then we go into some of the statistics of the past year, um, such as how many programs were hosted and how many people attended those programs. Um, We added more outdoor spaces for everyone to enjoy, and we added art to our collection from um, Vermont Artists of Color. So it's really just showing the donors how much we appreciate what they've made possible in the past year. Um, And every donor is listed by name. Um, to recognize them for their support. Uh, We also introduce our new trustees and staff each year. So um, we like to have that connection with our donors so they know, like, who they'll see when they come to the library. Um, And, yeah, so it's really just a small token of our gratitude to those donors. That's great. That's very important. Um, When you're a donor, you don't really get the feedback about where their dollars went and and what the dollars were, were used for other than maybe through the budget. But um, right. that's a really to, – to keep them in the loop and to have them feel part of what you all are doing is really great. And if people listening want to do that, um, how do they reach out and volunteer, and how do they reach out um, for um, providing some financial support? Absolutely. They can go right to our website, which is org. Um, and right on the front page, you can go to the Support Us tab um, where you'll find Donate or Volunteering Information, or just click on the big yellow button that says Donate. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> That's great, because obviously, um, given your financial situation, 
uh, which is a good one, and uh, that you've got a lot of great supporters uh, in Mo- not only just Montpelier, because I know Berlin uses the library, and I'm sure a lot of other um, surrounding towns use the library. So um, it's a good resource, and um, um, I've been to quite a few meetings downstairs. I presume that meeting room is uh, under renovation, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> for, for, for the next couple months, yeah. Because <laughs> you've had some great meetings down there, which I've appreciated over the years. Um, anyway, so tell me, we only have a few minutes left. What does the Library of the Future look like? Who wants to take that one? Carolyn, you I mean, want to I jump will. in? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think about this all the time. Uh, so I think that the Library of the Future is um, a, it's a space dedicated to knowledge creation and content creation, uh, which is so much of what we do already in a really broad sense. It's also a community gathering space. Um, so in central Vermont, we have this incredibly lively and dedicated reading population. So we, we serve six member towns and and still the number one thing that this library does is circulate books. We circulate 300,000 print books a year, plus all of that digital content, plus all of the meetings, plus all of the programs. But so all of that is certainly going to, to, to stay. But I think that modern libraries also have, you know, they also have maker spaces and podcasting studios and co-working spaces and, uh, and, and classes and multimedia resources. So I think we're getting to a point where all of that is going to live in this, in this community hub space. So our, our readership of ebooks is starting to kind of, uh, it was exponentially growing and then it started to kind of level off. And so I think we're going to get to this place where we're going to have always whatever the, whatever the next technological thing is, if there's a place for it in the library, we'll explore that. But I really think this community gathering, this multimedia collaborative community learning commons, I think that is really where, where our library is going and where we're going to see it in the next five years. Sounds very exciting. I, I hit upon one thing you said, podcast studios. Could you uh, talk about that in the next minute or two we've got left? Sure. So, I mean, if you want to see one in action, they have one already at the library in South Burlington, ah. uh, which is a, which is a, a newer library. Uh, yeah. So it's a place you can rent, you can go into a space and use equipment that's already there. And so, ah. um, if podcasting is what works in this space, awesome. We, you can also do like an, you can have an animation studio, you can have a green screen. So, um, but yeah, the, the possibilities, it's, it's all about what the community, what our community needs and wants from us, uh, and then our ability to meet it. Well, good for you. Up, I hear the music. Thank you both very much for coming on this morning. I can't, as I said, I was very impressed with the work you're doing, and I'm sure will continue to do. So thanks to Carolyn Picasso and Colleen Beamish from the Kellogg Hubbard Library. Keep Thank on you for meeting, having folks. Thank thanks you. So you're welcome. Much. See ya. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Thank you.